Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. We need to be making sure that we are empowering ourselves to learn as much as we can about the disease that we have, tools and things that we can do to be able to help ourselves, utilizing tools, both medical and exercise and and diet and also willpower. If you do, you can be, you know, really, really successful with the tools that are currently available if you have the resources to be able to do it. And today we'll be talking about why it's so important that medical devices, prescriptions, etc. are accessible to people who want to take control of their own health. We'll speak with Tom Tobin and Jeff Bishop, both of whom are blind and both of whom have medical conditions, about the importance of having accessible devices and where we stand today. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Tom Tobin. Taking charge of your situation is really important and people have to own their disease. Uh, you can't yep. deny it. You got to own it. And I think the other thing that is really important is that, you know, I really call what we're trying to do with this legislation. I'd like to really partner with pharma. I'd like them to understand what our needs are, understand why we need this to be fully accessible. And frankly, if we can better manage our diabetes, we can prevent or delay further complications or any complications, frankly. Fortunately, we have people like Jeff and Tom who are advocating for the accessibility of these devices so people who need them can use them. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by the Intracortical Visual Prosthesis Project, as described in Episode 2151. Interested volunteer participants can learn more at www.chicagolighthouse.org ICVP or contact them at ICVP at IIT.edu. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Let's start by meeting Jeff and Tom. Well, we have two guests with us today, and I'll ask Jeff first if you can introduce yourself. My name is Jeff Bishop. I work at Microsoft Corporation, but I'm here representing uh, my work that I work with with the ACB Diabetics in Action Special Interest Affiliate. And we're here to talk all about medical devices and being empowered about achieving great results in managing your diabetes. I've had type 2 uh, for over 20 years and um, have a lot to share in this space. Is the diabetes the cause of your blindness? It is not. Uh, I was born uh, almost four months premature, uh, so I had detached retinas and you know all of that. Um, but uh, no, uh, I think genetics and, and, and probably weight and all of those factors played a role in me getting type 2, although they really classified it kind of like 1.5, which is not really a, a clinical diagnosis. But I, since I was born so premature, my um, pancreas never fully developed. So my endocrinologist actually told me that was not if, but when that it was going to happen. And our second guest today is Tom. Can you tell us a little about yourself, Tom? Good afternoon, Nancy and Pete. This is Tom Tobin. 
professionally, uh, I am a development consultant. So I work for several organizations out there that many people are familiar with, Cleveland Site Center, Hadley School. Um, and I have my own consulting business now. Um, but I just was recently elected president of ACB Diabetics in Action. And Jeff uh, graciously agreed to join me today. He's our second vice president. And uh, so we're here to talk to you today about an issue that's really important to us around um, fully accessible, durable medical equipment. So is your diabetes the reason for your blindness? Yes, Nancy, it is. I was uh, fully sighted, had 20-20 vision into my junior year at Kenyon College. And during my junior year, I started noting changes in my vision and found out I had uh, what's called proliferative diabetic retinopathy, which means abnormal blood vessels grow on the back of your eye. And after thousands of laser treatments in both eyes to try and slow the growth of those vessels down, which it did, it worked, got me through my junior year at Kenyon. Um, I literally uh, was driving home um, with a detached retina from my last day of exams and couldn't see out of my left eye, drove home, put the car in park, turned off the ignition and never drove a car again. I was in the hospital the next day in surgery, trying to repair the damage. So uh, thousands of laser treatments later and four surgeries, what they call vitrectomies, where they go in and try and put the retina back in place and remove the blood. Um, and I literally went from 2020 to zero in the span of one year. Wow. And diabetes is a nasty disease. And one of the very common consequences of diabetes is diabetic retinopathy, which can lead to blindness. And each of your experience with durable medical equipment is primarily equipment that you're using to control your diabetes. Yeah, that's true. It actually came on pretty aggressively for me. In 2001, I went to a nephrologist and he told me, you know, if you don't get in control of this by 2020, you'll either be dead or on dialysis. So wow. get your act together. So it was a pretty scary moment for me when I got diagnosed. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is durable medical equipment and what can be done to make it more accessible to people with vision loss. Well, Tom and Jeff, it's kind of interesting. From your introduction, you pointed out that you're both blind and both diabetics. And usually on this show, we talk with people with visual impairments and adaptive aids and technologies to help people with visual impairments. But what you've really pointed out is even blind folks have other medical problems that sighted people deal with. And one of the issues that we wanted to highlight today was how visually impaired people deal with some of these medical issues, because there are certain issues they have to deal with that sighted people don't. So Jeff, maybe you can give us a little start here on what is the real issue for visually impaired people and medical equipment? Yeah, this is a great topic and one that really is near and dear to my heart because it's it's something that I have struggled with for a long time. You know, if you talk with uh, the ADA and, and read lots of journals and do lots of research, they'll tell you, you know, you need to get up and get moving and you need to do lots of exercise and, and eat right and all of these things. And some of these things 
if you're visually impaired, are really difficult because there are not gyms that are fully accessible. A lot of the equipment that is out there is is all touch screen. Getting someone to help you can sometimes be uh, very, very difficult. And that doesn't even get to the point of managing the disease itself as far as accessible glucometers and accessible uh, continuous glucose monitoring products, which allow you to help manage your blood sugar. And it's only until recently that these products have become available and more accessible, although I would say that they're not fully accessible and fully compliant at this point. But we'll tell you more about that here in just a few minutes. There are products out there that if you have insurance or or have access to finances that that you really should take advantage of. These are really CGM devices. And and even if you're type 2 and you're not on insulin, it's the way to go because it, it allows you to learn how your body reacts to the things that you eat and the activities that you do throughout your life. And what's a CGM? A CGM is a continuous glucose monitor. So it's a device that you wear. Generally, you inject just beneath the skin to be able to uh, measure the interstitial fluid between just uh, beneath the skin. That fluid contains at least a level of glucose. It's not real time, like a, a finger stick might be. It's about 15 to 20 minutes behind. But at least it gives you a pretty accurate representation of what your blood sugar activity is doing. And then you can learn from that what you need to do to be able to have tighter control. So diabetes happens to be the particular problem that you guys are familiar with, but this is a general problem for visually impaired people. Correct. That they have to deal with measuring bodily fluids or they need to measure other aspects that are important to their medical treatment. Correct. Well, sure. Uh, Oxygen reading, saturation levels, uh, some heart monitors are not accessible to be able to get more accurate data on those types of things. Although some of that now is being handled with the internet. You know, uh, CPAP machines is another great example of people who have sleep apnea. You get these devices and they're all either touchscreen or or very, very visual. And most of those machines now just send data directly to your doctor, which I'm not sure I agree with, but that's the way that, that that (laughs) goes. <laughs> um, and, and so, yes, this is not just a diabetes issue. This is systemically a problem across the entire medical industry. And this is a particularly auspicious time to be talking about some of these issues, because I understand there is currently a bill before Congress to make some of these devices more accessible to people. Can you talk a little bit about that, Tom? Sure. Um, let me just start by giving a little history. So, when I was diagnosed with diabetes at age nine, 1973, so you guys can do the math, there was really basically nothing out there. No blood glucose meters. Uh, you basically took your shot of insulin, hope for the best. And as time went by, you know, as Jeff was indicating, you know, science and biotechnology started to develop all these great new products out there, which is fabulous. So we're now able to theoretically better manage our diabetes than we were when I was, you know, early diagnosed in the 70s and early 80s. And so today, the challenge is that we do have some pretty amazing devices on the market out there. The problem is most of the devices are barely accessible, certainly not fully accessible to someone who's living with diabetes and vision impairment. 
to answer your question, Pete, yes, the legislation making its way through the House right now is H.R. 4853, and it's dealing with this whole issue of um, being able to interface with these devices from a non-visual standpoint. And there are actually a couple of different tiers, if you will. So tier one are devices that are generally not going to hurt you, a tongue depressor, a hospital bed. Tier two are things that uh, could possibly hurt you if you don't manage them properly, as Jeff said. And those would include things like insulin pens, epinephrine pens, anything that's needle-based, um, you know, because you could misdose insulin and I could theoretically kill myself by taking too much insulin. And then tier three are the devices that um, are very sophisticated and require, you know, a lot of uh, interface with the, the human handler. Those are insulin pumps and other devices that deliver insulin in a mechanical way, not a manual way. But, um, and that there's some interface with uh, the consumer. And that's where we are with this legislation. Most of these products today that are digitally based that you can see a screen are not accessible to a non-visual interface. So if you can't see the screen, I mean, frankly, you guys, you can't even, an insulin pump, you can't even unlock the pump. And if you can't unlock the pump, you can't deliver insulin. So that's how bad it really is. Just to go back a little bit in time. So in the late 80s, we actually had what I refer to as a diabetes revolution, where I had all these great rehab skills after I got trained to be a blind guy, but I couldn't live by myself because I didn't have anything to independently manage my diabetes as far as checking my glucose. So what did you do back then? So I either had to have the sighted person do it, which was mostly what I did. But of course, you know, that also begs a question. If I didn't have somebody around that could see my screen and my glucose meter, I didn't check my blood sugar, which is obviously not a good thing. And we didn't have apps like Be My Eyes and Ira back then to use sighted assistance over a cell phone. Correct. It's a very ironic point. So I had all these great rehab skills. I could read and write Braille. I could travel independently with a white cane. I knew activities of daily living. But I couldn't live by myself because I couldn't check my blood sugars independently. So we work with uh, the first company to step up back in those days was um, LifeScan. And they had a product called the One Touch 2 Blood Glucose Meter. And they were amazing. They sent two engineers to the Cleveland Site Center where I was working. And they showed us how to make it talk. They weren't going to build the device. But they showed us how to do it. And basically, uh, we started working on a um, talking attachment for the one touch two glucose meter that just basically plugged into the data port on the side of the glucose meter because everything that was sent to the screen was sent to that data port. So if you could plug something in that talked, problem solved. And so we started building one at the Cleveland Site Center and then the American Foundation for the Blind back in those days had deep R&D pockets. They developed the first talking attachment called the Touch and Talk 2. And you want to talk about a revolutionary change for people who are blind and diabetic to be able to self-manage your own blood sugars? I mean, for me personally, it changed my life radically. Well, I'll bet because it gave you not only control over your own medical situation without a lot of extra outside help, but it also allowed you a great deal of independence because you didn't have to rely on all those other people. That's exactly right, Pete. And I got to tell you, the feeling of independence to be able to be in control of my blood sugars when I wanted to test them in the middle of the night or whatever, I could do it. And so that gives you a little bit of the history. And so what I would like to see happen today, my vision for this HR 4853 is that we re-engage that adaptive diabetes revolution where we get pharma to basically engage with us and say, oh yeah, we could make this stuff work for people who are you know blind or visually impaired and diabetic. You know, when I think of accessibility, I think of the past 10, 20 years in particularly computer technologies, 
software and hardware developers have slowly come to embrace the concept of building in accessibility into their products. And I wonder if the medical community and the developers of medical devices have changed their views on that and are thinking a little bit more openly about accessibility these days. I would say you've hit the nail on the head because it's like we all of us use a smartphone, whether it's Android or, or Apple or iOS, that accessibility is built in. So that device can work for you, Pete, as a blind person, can also work for Nancy as a sighted person. And that's what I'd really like to shoot for is to integrate what we call universal design into these uh, durable medical equipment products like insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitors. So if you make it work for everybody, then just like you pull a smartphone out of the box and you turn on your whatever voice uh, narrator you need to listen to, that would be you know, like a switch in a pump where you turn it on for people like me that need it. And for those that don't need, they can read the screen, you leave it disabled. So that's the direction we're going. And that's really what I'd like to see. So in other words, they're developing solutions that are convenient for sighted people and integrating with smartphones. But since our phones are so smart and accessible these days, we can use it also. Correct. In fact, that's how Jeff and I both use our continuous glucose monitors. You have an app on the phone and you scan the camera over the sensor and it reads what your blood sugar is. It's pretty remarkable technology. So you're basically circumventing the inaccessibility of your device by using some other device that is accessible to read out what's on the screen that you couldn't otherwise interact with. Well, I use the Libre Link smartphone app on my uh, iPhone. The manufacturer, Abbott Diabetes Care, developed the app and they made it had to make it fully accessible or mostly accessible. We still don't have access to graphical output and all that stuff, but for the most part, I can do everything I need to do with the app. So um, but the part that's accessible is that since the smart app is accessible, you know, using iOS, I can use my smartphone with voiceover to read to me what's on that app and what, what my blood sugar was. You know, I can go back and look at the logbook. I can tell it to print out my last 90 days of blood sugar reading so I can share it with my doctor. Uh, those are the types of things that the app allows me to do. And Jeff, do you interact similarly with your device? I do. And in fact, my doctor has uh, my Libre data linked up directly into the doctor's office. So when I walk in, I don't even have to bring a meter you know, with me. They have the graph already printed and uh, I can pull it up on my iPhone and we can talk about, okay, what did you eat on you know, Thursday? Because your glucose shot to 162 you know, out of target. And so um, let's talk about that. That generally is not how discussions go. We mainly just talk about, you know, you're within 85 or 90% um, range. That's what makes it really, really neat. The Libre system does provide a, you can buy a glucometer. In fact, they really kind of mandate it. You can buy the sensors without it, but they, when you first buy it, they, they sort of enforce this purchase of their inaccessible meter. And this is where, again, they're meeting us halfway. So, Sure, the app is accessible, but if you need to check with an actual glucometer, which they do sell, that device is not accessible. So that's where you would have to get someone with vision to assist you in that process, as opposed to using something that would talk, right? Like a, a glucometer that would talk. And if I could jump in, Peter and Nancy, I, um, so the point that Jeff is making is a very good one because... Um, you know, our population of people who are blind and visually impaired are oftentimes on a fixed income. So 
the opportunity to afford any kind of smart device, like a smartphone or whatever, is a challenge for some people. So it's a really important point that I want to make for your audience, because we can't leave people who can't afford a smart device behind. We have to make sure that this technology is not only fully accessible, but fully available to everybody that can benefit from it, which means if you can't use a smart device, we have to come up with another solution so that you can still use the equipment just like anybody else uh, does. Well, and that's a great point. In addition to the expense of a smartphone, Jeff and Tom, you guys are both relatively tech savvy, but many older people, particularly when these medical problems start to pop up, they aren't so Mm -hmm. technically savvy. And so they really need something more simple and more direct to use. Yep. I totally agree with that. That's a really good point, Pete, is it has to work for everybody. Um, And that's the rub because Jeff and I are lucky. We have the means to pay for smartphones. We have the background, the skills to use them. Um, But that's not the case for everybody. And that's really important to me to make sure we don't leave anybody behind. So it sounds like right now we're in some sort of in-between stage of accessibility of medical equipment to the visually impaired. Um, Some is, some isn't, some work with apps, some you just use some other app on your phone so you can read things. I know that your organization is pushing to get this bill through Congress. What do you recommend that individuals do? This legislation um, is still very much in its infancy, so it's going to get modified in committees and subcommittees and all kinds of stuff. So what I would ask uh, your audience to do is to contact your representative and your senators, and we can certainly share information, even a mock letter that people can use to write to their their representatives and senators. Um, but right now, what we're asking folks to do is to, to take that first advocacy step and ask their reps and their senators to co-sponsor H.R. 4853. And as we talked about before starting this interview, it's not only important that many of these blindness organizations like the ACB are advocating on our behalf, but we also need to be our own advocates. And we also need to embrace some of these new technologies and take on some of the responsibility ourselves to learn how to use these devices, talk to manufacturers, et cetera. That's right. I think that not only do we need to be handling this from an advocacy perspective, but we also need to be making sure that we are empowering ourselves to learn as much as we can about the disease that we have, tools and things that we can do um, to be able to help ourselves. You know, I took a a journey of, of, of doing this and now I'm off on diabetes medication and officially no longer type two, although I, I personally think you never get rid of it. You just have to manage it. I'm in a pretty good space right now, but that took lots of years of research, lots of years of advocating for myself throughout the medical profession, utilizing tools, both medical and exercise and, and diet and also willpower. You can't do it all alone. Definitely takes a village to be able to accomplish all of this. And if you do, you can be, you know, really, really successful with the tools that are currently available if you have the resources to be able to do it. That's the key point of this. And this is why this is so important that we advocate at the legislative level, because not everybody can afford a $1,000 smartphone, right? Or, or a $500 Android phone, because you can do it on Android too. But it's just an amazing process and, and it takes 
both advocacy as well as willpower and empowerment of the individual to be able to be successful in managing any disease. And I would just say that Jeff makes an excellent point that lest we techies get all down the weeds about all this fun technology we get to use, we, we need to remember that there are lots of other components to be, you know, managing your diabetes as well. And that's, as Jeff mentioned, nutrition, exercise, you know, regular visit to your doctor and learning how to be your advocate in your doctor's office. That's an important thing too. Sometimes people get intimidated by their doctors and we want to help them you know, to learn how to do that. Next week, Jeff will be back on the show elaborating on how important it is to take charge of your own health and how he's been able to do that. It doesn't sound like it was easy, but he was able to succeed. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about diabetes and its treatment and how to contact Tom Tobin and Jeff Bishop directly. Tom, if people wanted to connect with ACB Diabetics in Action, how would they do that? Uh, The easiest way, I think, is by email, and that is to write to ACBDA, the abbreviation of our name, ACB Diabetics in Action. So ACBDAORG at gmail.com. So that's ACBDAORG at gmail.com. And I actually, as president, have no problem if people want to reach out to me. Um, So my cell is 847-846-8375. And despite that Chicago exchange, my former Hadley days, I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. So I'm on Eastern Standard Time or via email at tltobin, so that's T-L's and lucky, T-O-B as in boy, I-N at att.net. Love to hear from anybody uh, with questions, concerns, interest in joining, whatever. And how about you, Jeff? If people wanted to connect with you, how would they be able to do that? Yeah, you can email me at jeff at jeffbishop.com, or they can find me on Twitter at jeffbishop. Either way, you can reach me. Are there any other organizations that you wanted to provide contact information for, you know, if people want to look up more information about diabetes or medical equipment or anything? Now, there are posts out there. As Jeff mentioned earlier in the show, we are ACB Diabetes in Action is a special interest affiliate of ACB. Uh, so there's information on ACB's website at acb.org. Another resource, which is just a general resource out there, is uh, – American Diabetes Association. So if you Google American Diabetes Association, you can find their website and they've got just a whole plethora of information out there from how to manage a disease and all that. And we're actually, we're going to try and uh, partner and collaborate with them on this whole issue around fully accessible, durable medical equipment. And what are the benefits of joining ACB Diabetics in Action? One of the things we offer in ACB Diabetics in Action are uh, monthly community calls where we talk about all these different uh, issues and how people can help move the needle on this stuff. And one of the most important calls I think we have is our third Saturday community chats at five o'clock Eastern. And basically it brings all those of us who are blind and visually impaired and living with diabetes together to share our information with each other. So, you know, it's, everyone comes to this with different levels of knowledge and experience. And for me, as president of ACB Diabetes in Action, that peer-to-peer interaction is critical. And it's just a wonderful way for people with vision impairment and diabetes to interact with each other, which I think is really important. 
And in case you didn't catch that in the audio, we have all of that contact information and resources in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 2204. Next week on Eyes on Success, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, Jeff Bishop will be coming back to talk about taking charge of your health and how important that is. He has had to deal with a number of medical issues as a result of being born very premature, including becoming a diabetic, and he will talk to us about his journey to control his diabetes by making a series of lifestyle changes, including sticking to a healthy diet, regular exercise, and developing the drive to succeed. And we hope you join us next week to hear Jeff's story. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.